So today, we are going to be continuing in our series looking at the Holy Spirit, which Tim and Judy have already started for us, and they focused on the book of John, so in the New Testament, the book of John, and what was it in that book that we can think about in terms of the Holy Spirit. And today, as we are going to be moving to look at the book of Romans, and what it was that Paul wanted to say to us about the Holy Spirit through the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans, uh, Paul wrote, he wrote lots of books to lots of different churches in the early church. And often when Paul wrote a letter to one of the early churches, he wrote to them because either it was a church that he had founded, or it was a church that he had visited, or it was a church that somehow was slightly missing the mark. So they hadn't quite understood what it was to really live uh, with Jesus at the center. And so Paul wrote to them to encourage them or to challenge them or to say, actually, this is where you're slightly missing the mark. But this letter that he wrote to the early church at Rome is for a slightly different focus. Because when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he had neither visited them nor had he founded the church. But he wrote to them because he was saying, do you know what, this is my mission. And I want to get you on board with this mission that I have for Jesus to change lives through the message of Jesus. And we want to get this mission out into Spain and across into the rest of Europe. So he hadn't visited them, he hadn't founded them. He essentially was saying, I want to tell you what my mission is, and I want to get you on board with this mission so you can support what it is that I'm going to say. And in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit is talked about 26 times. But 18 of those references, so a huge proportion of those references, are found here in chapter 8, the chapter So this obviously was the moment in Paul's mission where he wanted to share, this is what I think about the Holy Spirit, and this is what I want you to understand and take on board. And so we look through this chapter, we're going to look at four different things I think Paul pulled out to say, this is what I want you to know about the Holy Spirit. Because a a number of theologians have kind of described chapter 8 as the firework display of the Holy Spirit. So the moment where Paul goes, let me tell you about this amazing thing that the Holy Spirit that is uh, open to each of you. So the first thing we're going to think about is the fact that Paul talks about that we can have minds fixed on the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to have a think about that actually we do that so we can understand our new identity that we find in the Holy Spirit. So that thirdly, we can go on and live lives changed by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, so that we can go out and change the communities and the world that we find ourselves in through the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Because a lot of the teaching of the day that Paul was kind of teaching alongside, which is teaching that we probably sometimes find in our world today, was that actually the mind was so sinful, it was so wrong, it was so full of the world, that you had to empty your mind completely to find any sort of spiritual enlightenment or inspiration. So the mind had to be completely emptied for you to know anything that was beyond the world. But what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 6 is different. He says, the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So for Paul, it wasn't about emptying your mind. It wasn't about getting everything out of your mind. Actually, it was all about filling your mind. It was saying that we need to fill our minds by fixing our minds on the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and filling our minds with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And that's how we can have life and peace that our minds are there, they're part of us, but actually we can let them be taken by something even higher than what we see and what we are. And the wonderful truth that Paul also shares in this chapter is that when we accept Jesus into our lives, when we say, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you, I want to know you in my life, actually every single one of us has the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
In chapter 8, verse 9, he says, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So therefore, the reverse must be true. If you belong to Christ, if you have accepted Christ into your life, then you do have the Holy Spirit in you. And so you do then have the ability to fix and fill your minds on the Holy Spirit because the promise is that once you've accepted Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life so that you can fix your mind more and more on him and on Jesus. And in the lead up to this kind of firework display of the Holy Spirit, this massive uh, display and outpouring of Paul teaching us about the Holy Spirit, the thing that Paul really kind of focuses on in the chapters leading up to chapter 8 is that actually we are not going to change our outward behavior by striving to get things right all the time, by being punished when we don't get things right, by us doing hard works to always try and get it wrong or to get it right, or by people saying, don't behave like that, do this, do that. Paul says, do you know what? No. In chapter 7, verse 6, he says, We have been released from the law that we serve the new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. And maybe even now, people sometimes look at the church and think, oh, we don't want to be part of the church because they tell us not to do this and not to do that, and not to behave like this and not to behave like that. But Paul says something really different. He says, do you know what? The old way has gone because now we have the Holy Spirit so we can be back in relationship with Jesus. And it's not about us changing what we're doing on the outside. Actually, it's about us fixing our minds so much on the Holy Spirit that we begin a beautiful change from the inside out. So what happens is our heart changes, our mind changes, and out of that, the outward things begin to change. It's not about us striving. It's not about us trying to do things well or do things right. It's about letting the Holy Spirit dwell in us and work in and through us. Gordon Fee, the theologian, says, The absolute basic description of the Christian life, as Paul perceives it, begins not with behavior as such, but with that which lies behind all life and behavior. A mindset on God and on his ways that is intent upon what is in keeping with the spirit. It's not about the outward stuff. First and foremost, it starts with the inside stuff. And through that, all else will change. And what I love in this passage, in this chapter, chapter 8, is that actually what Paul tells us is we can fix our minds on the Holy Spirit so that we can learn our new identity in the Holy Spirit. And often when we've been around uh, charismatic churches, maybe for a long time, and um, some people, you might be like, what does charismatic mean? I read in a, um, a national newspaper the other day, they described a charismatic church as a church where people can't stop moving when they're singing and there's always a trendy drummer. So whether that's a right or wrong description of charismatic church, Ella, that's you this morning, you come off well in that description. But so, yeah, I guess if you're not familiar with the term, maybe a slightly more lively church. So often when we think of the Holy Spirit, we can maybe focus a lot on the outward expression of the Holy Spirit. So we think of the Holy Spirit, we're like, yeah, prophecy, speaking in tongues, expressions in worship. Now, all of those things are good and they are right and they are edifying for the church and they change lives. And we're going to be looking at those later on in the series, specifically each of those topics. But actually what Paul says in this firework display of the Holy Spirit is nothing about the outward expressions of the Holy Spirit. Everything that Paul says is about us fixing our identity on the Holy Spirit in us and what that means for our new identity. Paul says a word that might be familiar to some, brand new for others. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's the new identity that we have through the Holy Spirit. 
that the Holy Spirit living in us enables us to once again be fully called children of God in a full relationship with our Father in heaven. Now, for those of us who have been around church for a long time, we might hear those words and go, great, I'm a child of God. It might be really familiar. It might have actually lost the impact for us. For some of us who are maybe joining church for the first time this morning, we might go, wow, that's massive, but what does that mean? I think what's really important is to think about actually what was Roman adoption, because adoption in the Roman culture was different to adoption as we would see it in our culture today. Because Roman adoption could happen at any age. It wasn't about a child finding a parent, it was about an adult finding an heir. And they could pick anybody at any age, at any stage of life. And so it would be someone saying, I want to find an heir. I want to find someone who is going to have everything, everything that I own, all the titles that I have, and I'm going to give it to them. And so they picked someone to be their heir. And in the moment that you were chosen, you were adopted to be someone's heir, then everything else that had gone before was disappeared. If you had any debts that you still owed, they were written off. If you had any wrongdoing against you, it was disappeared. Any previous relationships that you had, they went. Because now your relationship was solely about the person who had adopted you and chosen you to be their heir. That is massive when we think about that in terms of us and our relationship with God. Because that is God saying, not just that you're my child, and the kind of connotations of, well, what does that mean, a little person? That is God saying, actually, at any age, I have chosen you. I have picked you to be my heir, to give everything that I have to. And that also means that all those past things that have gone before, they don't define us. All the things that have been said to you, that have been done to you, all those relationships that you have, whether they are positive or whether they are negative, actually God says they do not define you. They are not who you are. Whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you're in a happy marriage, a bad marriage, whether you have loads of friends, not many friends, whether you're an extrovert, whether you're an introvert, whatever your sexuality is, God says that doesn't define you. What defines you is that you are my heir and I've chosen you to be my child a child of God. That is who you are. That is the identity that you live in. So if you are struggling still with things that have been said to you, that have been done to you, the things that you feel you're not as good at or that you wish you were better at, God says, I don't see that. I don't define you as that. I am with you in the stuff that's painful and I want to walk through that with you, but I don't define you by that. I define you by the fact that I sent my son to die on this, on the cross, to rise again so that the Holy Spirit would live in you so you could come back into a relationship with me forever. And if we truly understand this new identity with the Holy Spirit living in us, then it radically changes how we live our lives. Because actually, we stop being people who have a concern or a vulnerability or an insecurity about sharing the stuff that we're struggling with. One of my daughters was really struggling before Christmas. She still is, and she was put into one-on-one counselling daily at school because she was finding life quite tough. And I realised for quite a long time I didn't tell anyone about that because there was a shame in that of, oh, I'm not quite a good enough parent because something's gone a little bit askew with one of my children. But do you know what? If I really understand my identity as a child of God, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying to someone, I'm a child of God, my daughter's a child of God, the teachers who are supporting her, we're all children of God. Because actually we can go to one another and we can start being open and we can start being vulnerable. 
that we can say to one another, my identity is not found in all this other stuff, but as a child of God, I want to come and say to you, I'm really struggling with this. This is tough for me right now. I've had conversations with seven different people over the last fortnight who post the last two years are really struggling with anger. Five of those people said to me, I don't know who I'd talk to about this. I don't know who I would be open enough to say this to because I'm embarrassed by it. Actually, that's not us living as children of God. Because someone comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with this thing, whatever it is, and you see them as a child of God, you understand that you're a child of God, then you are going to do nothing but celebrate and say, thank you for being that vulnerable and open with me. Thank you for knowing that the Holy Spirit in you has enabled you to share those prompts of the Holy Spirit that Judy spoke about last week, that we can be open, that we can be vulnerable with one another. Because actually, when we know that things are a little bit off kilter, that is the Holy Spirit working in us. And that is the Holy Spirit changing us and helping us. Now, if you're anything like me, hopefully you are probably a better person than I am, so you might not do. It's very easy when we hear things like this to think of the list of people in our heads who we go, I really hope that they're listening to this because this is really important for them. (laughs) Um, And I was doing that as I was putting this talk together. I was like, oh yeah, John, I hope he's listening. Um, (laughs) That's my husband, just in case anyone thinks I'm abusing people in the uh, congregation. Um, it is easy to do that, isn't it? And I was. I was doing that. I was thinking about, oh, yeah, this is important. And I really felt what Judy spoke about last week, those kind of conviction moments of the Holy Spirit. And I really felt God take me back to Tally Ho, the last service we had at Tally Ho, our big all-together service back in January. And I was leading it with Addo. Tim was speaking. And Tim had just done a response for prayer. And he said to people, come up for prayer. And I don't know if you ever had that kind of thing where you feel a little fluttering. And you know that there is that sense of God saying, yeah, go up for prayer. And I didn't go up for prayer. Because I felt way too vulnerable going up for prayer in front of this whole massive room of people, knowing that I then had to go on and lead the rest of the service. And I want to apologize for that, because that is not as it should be as a child of God. Because actually, when people go up for prayer, or people go up to respond, actually, that is the moment where we should be applauding people, going, oh my goodness, wow, we're children of God, and that person's gone up for prayer, that's amazing, what an inspiration they are for me that I know as a child of God, I'm fully free to stand with another child of God and say, please, come and pray for me. Because I know that the Spirit is at work in me, pointing me back to my relationship with God. And if we don't get this bit right, if we don't fully understand our identity of the Holy Spirit in us, working through us, helping us to fix our mind on him, then the other things aren't going to come into place. Because first and foremost, Paul says in this passage what the Holy Spirit is for, what we need to really grasp and truly grasp is that our new identity is as a child of God and that that is massive and that has a massive impact for each one of us. We're going to respond in a moment and we're going to have a kind of longer time of sun worship. And whether you're doing church at home or whether you're here in the room, what I just really love is actually we just spend some time with the Holy Spirit saying, help me fix and fill my mind on you. Help me to know that I am your child. Help me to know what it means to be an heir of God who has given all of this to me. Because actually, as we understand that, we will go and we will change the world. I just uh, was looking at statistics on Church Suite, which is where we kind of keep all of our um, information about different people in the church. 
And what really struck me when I was looking at it was in our church, which is reflective of the UK church, there are a third more women in our church than men. Can I just say, men, this is really your moment. There is a lot in the news at the moment about uh, kind of, you know, teach your sons well. Let your sons know the way to live. It's not about the sort of telling women what they're wearing. Actually, it's about you educating your sons. I passionately believe in the men of our church being the men who rise up and say, because we know we are children of God and we know that we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, we are going to work in a different way. And actually, where the world might say to men, you've got to be strong, you can't be vulnerable, and you've got to be tough, actually what God would say is, you're my child, and you have the moment to change the world. Wouldn't it be amazing if actually the sons, the the boys of our church, were a generation that grew up and everyone went, wow, these people taught their sons well. And that's for all of us. I don't have sons, but I passionately want to help teach the young men of our church and I mean, I mean that for the young women as well. I, you know, that's not at all something we don't have to teach the women. We definitely do. Mine are highly emotional. They need all the help they can get. But what we need to do is to rise up and make a difference to the world that we find ourselves living in. And how amazing would that be if people said, and it is the church that have changed this world because they know a new identity and they are living in a new freedom.